The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit VoiceAmerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Many voices are more powerful than one. When we share ideas, developments, and power, we can achieve anything. Welcome to DJ and DeBear, keeping you at the top of your game. Your hosts are Deetta Jones and Richard Dent. Together, they have made a worthy life that includes a family, two businesses, a foundation, and much more. They're ready to help you find your personal success. Now, here are Deetta and Richard. Welcome to DJ and DeBear. I'm Deetta Jones, your host. I'm a social justice advocate, leadership, and organizational effectiveness coach speaker and author. I'm joined by my better three-quarters NFL legend and pro football Hall of Famer Richard Dent. Hello, Richard. Hello, 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 hello. How are you doing, my dear? I'm, I'm, I'm okay. It, it's been a heck of a week for us, huh? Weekend. <laughs> yes, that, that would be true. This weather is it's holding us hostage, <laughs> without a doubt. <laughs> It's, I think we're just about over February. I, I know it's Black History Month, but between the, the weather and the Oscars, which I actually didn't find terribly interesting to, to get through, I, I'm ready to just get on with the, the springtime now. Also, I'm, I'm ready to, this week to be over, perhaps, <laughs> and, uh, you know, we should be in a climate of 38 degrees, and we're still in the minus. So who knows what's around the corner? <laughs> well, Richard, hey, before we get started, we should give I should give you a little shout out. I don't know if uh, I mentioned this last time, but you're going into the Black College Hall of Fame this weekend down in Atlanta. Congratulations. Oh, thanks. Yes. Uh, that's, uh, that's very exciting. That's fact that, you know, when I went to college, I went, you know, with a couple of buddies, and I remember the coach telling my high school coach, uh, Hey, we didn't we didn't ask for this guy. I see Coach Lester pat him on the chest and good luck, Coach. I'll see you later. And, you know, but uh, you know, you never know where life takes you. All you need is you know some kind of direction. Somebody believes in you. Somebody's touching you and want to help you. You know, make something of your life. And that's that's what has has taken place. And I have to thank him and his wife for that. So now it's time to go back and. Pay it forward, huh? Say yeah. your thanks to all those who helped you, and then and then set the set the you know the the vision or maybe the spark in some some young folks who look up to you. Right. I mean, none of us can do anything about we're by ourselves. You know, you gotta have you know something in your life. I tell people all the time, you know, if God gives you the ability to dream something, but He's not going to work on it. You have to go to work. <laughs> if you can, if if you can see it, it can happen. Well, I know another dream that a lot of us have. Ooh, a lot of us have yes, a dream. Yeah, I'm, 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 I'm channeling Dr. King right now. A lot of us have a oh, dream. Oh, that's my God. That's my right, God. right, Go of ahead. a more socially just and equitable system, world for all of us. And we have just the person here today to talk with us about 
doc, not just Dr. King's dream, but, you know, the realities of how it is that we um, are going to continue to get from here to there. You know, where is there? And then what are some of the things that we can and should be doing and that we are doing um, that, that will help us to, to actualize that dream? So I would like to open up today's uh, topic um, and introduce our guest. We, our topic for this week is, and, and what I did for, for promotional purposes, I took a very thin slice um, but we're going to talk about a lot of um, expansive ideas. But the topic for this week is why does hashtag Black, Black Lives Matter um, as a corporate imperative, uh, why is that important and an exploration of diversity and next generation diversity issues and concepts? And we're joined by our very special guest, uh, a friend and colleague, diversity and inclusion thought leader, Andres Tapia. Welcome, Andres. Oh, my pleasure uh, to be with you, Dieta and Richard. Uh, so, looking forward to our conversation. It's going to be it's going to be really rich. I, it's every conversation I've ever had with you has been rich. So, Andres, let me say a few words about you to kick us off. Um, Andres has been one of the leading voices in shaping a contemporary next generation approach to diversity and inclusion. The approach is global, deeply integrated into talent systems, and focused on enabling marketplace success. Andres is, is solutions leader for Corn Ferry's workforce performance, inclusion, and diversity practice, responsible for providing strategic direction for content creation and practical client solutions. Prior to Corn Ferry, he was president of Diversity Best Practices, a preeminent diversity and inclusion think tank and consultancy. And before that, he was the chief diversity officer and emerging workforce solutions leader for Hewitt Associates, where he was responsible for shaping and leading that organization's internal diversity transformation, as well as its diversity consultancy. Throughout Europe, Asia, and North America, and his native Latin America, Andres serves clients in shaping their enterprise-wide diversity and inclusion business cases and strategies across industries. He is also the author of the groundbreaking book, The Inclusion Paradox, The Obama Era, and the Transformation of Global Diversity, and is a frequently sought-after speaker on the top of, of diversity and inclusion. Andres uh, grew up in a bilingual, bicultural home in Lima, Peru. He is married to Lori, a musician, and they have a grown daughter, Maricela, who is a professional flamenco dancer, who I'm still dying to see. I still have to see Maricela perform, and I'm very much looking forward to making that opportunity um, possible. You'll love it. I can't wait. I can't wait. So, Andres, you and I know each other from um, uh, our time at Diversity Best Practices. I know that you have been a, a, you know, a thought leader in this space for years before the time that you and I have been together. You and I obviously um, hit it off because we share a passion for diversity and inclusion. And we've both, even though we've taken slightly different roads, we both have um, had some similar experiences and preparation leading us to be uh, practitioners in this important space. Um, the one thing that I've always really loved, well, many of the things I love about you, but a couple of the things that have always stood out to me was your energy, but also your optimism regarding what for some is a topic that's filled with landmines. What do you, what do you, what keeps you going? What makes you think that diversity and inclusion is the right uh, area to focus on and something that you've allowed you to stay committed over these years? Yeah, and I want to first uh, recognize that there's a lot of plenty of bad news, discouraging yeah. news, uh, actually dark news as it relates to diversity and inclusion, whether it's in the corporate world or in society or here in the United States or around the world. So my optimism is not uh, Pollyanna-ish. It's not a denial of the those um, those things that we must take a steely eye looked at. But there is reason for optimism. And... Um, 
and while we need to address the challenges, there are many things that are working and many things that we could leverage and make work better. And, and one of this uh, is about the American experiment. You know, so we're talking mostly to an American audience today, and we know all the things that are wrong and we need to address, but what is right? And this is uh, one of the most diverse, if not the most diverse nation in the world, and we have uh, achieved a great level of diversity every which way, racial, ethnic, uh, sex orientation, uh, around disability, right, uh, uh, and around many other dimensions. And we see uh, political leaders, we see business leaders, uh, we see organizational not-for-profit leaders that are reflective of that vast diversity. And in many cities and in many communities, we have our children uh, going to school with one another. Uh, uh, we have colleagues working in corporations together and innovating together and leveraging the power of diversity um, to generate new ideas, new ways of living, uh, new products, new services. So this is the kind of thing that gives me optimism, and we have we can even optimize we can optimize this uh, asset even further, and that's what drives me. Nice, nice. I'm going to ask you. I'm going to drill down on this a little bit more as we continue to talk because you use a lot of words that are that we've even focused on in in, in the kind of recent shows. So for for example, last week our show was on diversity, innovation, and the technology field, and you of course know. You know that there's a lot of uh, attention on the technology field and the opportunity for using diversity to, uh, to you know, fuel their desire to be more and more innovative, but also to close some of the huge workforce gaps that exist there. So, um, you know, as we talk over the course of the hour, it'd be wonderful for you to share perspectives of, for us on how it is that diversity fuels innovation and give us some examples. And I know you have those. But one of the things that I wanted to ask even before we go to that is that a lot of times when I hear you talk. I hear you talk about next generation diversity or about diversity 2.0 or diversity 3.0. Can you help us just just to frame this out? What is diversity 2 or 3.0? What is next gen diversity versus the diversity that we've all been dealing with for the last 30 or plus years? Sure. And I think you said a key thing, right? The last 20, 30 plus years of diversity is not a new thing. Uh, it's been quite a, around for quite a while. And let's just indeed call it diversity 1.0 that its best practices, its way of operating, its frameworks are things that did make sense a generation ago when diversity looked a certain way. And fast forward to 2015, and there's some aspects of diversity that remain unchanged, either for good or for bad. But there's also many things about diversity inclusion that have changed in dramatic ways, and therefore we have to rethink how we approach diversity. So, for example, in addition to the continued unfinished addressing the unfinished business of race and gender, we also have to add the issues of you know sexual orientation, disability, uh, generation, thinking styles, and global diversity. So that in itself is part of a characteristic of next generation diversity. Another uh, characteristic that needs to evolve is that diversity 1.0 focus on a paradigm of tolerance and sensitivity that made sense a generation ago when more women and minorities went into the workplace and encountered intolerance and insensitivity. But, you know, we've been there, done that on that training. And while we can still think of individuals that uh, could use some more tolerance and sensitivity training, uh, for the most part, people have learned what to say and probably most accurately what not to say in the space of political correctness. And we need to, while wanting people to be time-sensitive, we have to go beyond that. And we believe that next-generation diversity is about not only about the attitude of openness and tolerance, but it's really about the skill of inclusion. And what I mean by the skill of inclusion 
is that we need to actually know the behaviors, know the techniques, know the approaches to actually literally manage diverse teams and manage diverse relationships. And the final paradigm I'll share with you here is also be able to manage the penetration and growth of diverse markets in ways that meet the needs and aspirations of new buyers that need products and services. And so these markets are huge and they're growing and it's where the growth is happening. And next generation diversity has to be both about talent and about marketplace diversity. Very interesting. So let, let me transit. We're going to switch gears for a minute, but when we come back, I, I, want, us, I want you to tell us a little bit more about some of these emerging markets and, and, and the skills associated with becoming uh, you know, more uh, culturally uh, competent and developing more cultural competence, but also some of the, the resurgence of some of the, the, you know, the, the focus on programmatic uh, awareness uh, training, things like micro inequities, et cetera, that are really on the rise lately and, and how it is that some of those issues and those programs and those efforts are compatible with next generation diversity uh, efforts. So let's switch gears for just a few minutes. And while we're away at commercial break, please visit us at www.dietajones.com and share your concept, uh, your feedback, or hit us up on Twitter at Dieta M. Jones at Andres, A-N-D-R-E-S-T, Tapia, and at Richard underscore Dent, 9-5. We'll be right back. Friend us on Facebook to keep up with what's empowering the world. Voice America Empowerment. Richard Dent, a cornerstone of the Bears' overwhelming defense during their Super Bowl run and a 2011 inductee into the Pro Football Hall of Fame, was an eighth-round draft pick out of tiny Tennessee State in 1983. The tall and skinny rookie wound up with a brilliant 15-year football career. Dent's fascinating story takes you behind the scenes of one of the fiercest, most dominant defenses in NFL history. Blood, Sweat, and Bears hits hard, just like its Hall of Fame author. Buy it now on Amazon or download it to Kindle. Dieta Jones has been delivering expert guidance through her speaking, consulting, and writing on leadership, management, and cultural diversity for more than 20 years. Her engaging style and infectious laugh combines with mastery of personal effectiveness tools and cutting-edge research. She is diplomatic, yet direct, and concept-based, yet practical in her approach. If you are looking for a high-powered speaker for your next conference, consider Dieta Jones your ace in the hole. Call her at 312-870-9596 or visit her website at dietajones.com. Have you had a chance to check out Voice America's online magazine and blog, Press Pass? If you love our hosts and shows, check out articles that give an even deeper perspective. Plus, topics about health and fitness, movie reviews, philosophy, business tips and tactics, spirituality, positive thought, current events, and even more about your favorite host. It's just a click away at VAPressPass.com. That's VAPressPass.com. VA Press Pass by Voice America. All access, all the time. Find out what makes the most successful people tick. Keep listening to the Voice America Empowerment Channel. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com You are listening to DJ and DeBear, keeping you at the top of your game. To reach the show today, please call in to 1-888-346-9141. That number again is 1-888-346-9141. 
You may also send an email to djones at dietajones.com. Now, back to the show. We're back and continuing our conversation on next generation diversity and inclusion with Andres Tapia. Andres, before we went to break, we were talking about kind of the difference between diversity 1.0 and next generation diversity and, and the, the delineation between kind of awareness and skill development and, and, and the behaviors associated with inclusion. And then during break, I mentioned to you, it seems to me that there's not, not necessarily a resurgence, but I've been seeing a lot, especially in the popular media, about issues that I would call squarely in the realm of uh, related to awareness. So, for, ex- for example, last night at the Oscars, you know, the, one of the big hashtags was hashtags ask them more, where, you know, viewers are saying ask the women about more than just their dresses and what kind of dress they're wearing or the presence and the, the, the growing uh, uh, desire for things like micro inequities training in corporate settings to really talk about those subtle ways in which individuals um, slight or marginalize others. Can you talk to us about how that connects in with next-gen diversity? Sure. You know, there is some good uh, evolution uh, on how we talk about uh, tolerance and sensitivity. And, and if, if 1.0 focused on issues of racism and sexism, you know, those explicit forms of bias that have to be, we have to be vigilant about addressing. And a lot of people either were not aware or had to be called out for that. And that, that was really a lot of diversity 1.0. And that was uh, many times started with awareness. People weren't even aware in some ways that they were being racist and they were discriminated on the basis of superiority, uh, judging by color skin or by gender or other forms. And so that's been that, and we still have to be addressing that form of prejudice, which is racism and explicit bias. But there's been an emergence of what is called implicit bias, uh, unconscious bias. And that is really, if if racism is a power issue um, of putting people up or down based on whatever criteria, uh, based on race, unconscious bias is more about a biological reality uh, that uh, all of us, every single one of us, um, have, uh, without even intending to, can also unconsciously bias against other people. And there's a lot of deep science around this that proves from, from a biological evolutionary perspective that we will discriminate, even unconsciously, in order to um, protect ourselves from whatever real or, or, um, or perceived threats that might be, and that sort of gets passed on uh, you know, genetically and through evolution and stuff like that. And unconscious bias is about becoming aware of those ways in which our brains have been wired in ways that are not helpful anymore uh, and, and that lead us to discriminate even unconsciously to those who are different from us. And by the way, the bottom line is the biology shows that we will be more attractive and like those who are most like us, and it doesn't matter who the us is, that will always be the case biologically. Unconscious bias says step out of that and, and be aware of it and call it and then be more inclusive of those who are different from you. So that's the biological side of it. But the cross-cultural agility side of it, which I brought up before the break, is really about now turning this into behavior. You know, what is yeah. the behavior, the actual skills that I need to address the explicit biases, to address the unconscious biases, and now turn it into an inclusive way of operating with the person in front of me, my team, the marketplace. And this now requires uh, actually uh, knowledge of research that 
it shows how cultures can be different. Uh, you come from a direct style communication culture or an indirect style communication culture. Do you come from a culture that's driven by the clock in terms of its time management, or you come from a culture that's driven by the event in terms of time management? And these are not right or wrong. They're just different. But when we come into contact with one another in the workplace and society, these preferences for managing time or how we communicate or how we negotiate or how we deal with conflict may lead to very different uh, interpretations of how to do it, and in that we may see behavior that's the opposite of how my mom, mom, or mom thought it was the right way to do things, right. and then we will judge it, and that's where then we get the breakdown of inclusion. Well, that's Oof. a good, good case in point. As, you know, as an athlete, you put in a pot, and in that pot, you either turn something great out of it, or that pot becomes bad. And that part can be all different kind of race, but people find out how to work along with each other where, you know, you got 50 guys on a team. All 50 guys are not going to get along. But our purpose to be great at something, we understand that. But in, I think in just a good old-fashioned regular world, you know, you have different people that bring their kids up to say that they're superior, yet you say why is it that people can't, uh, appreciate or get along or talk about race because if you haven't did it in your home and, and one has taught you one thing in the home but you don't know how to deal with it as of just common sense as a reality understanding of the person where they come from what they've done and the game of sports gives you a better outline to to cross those barriers in an easier way to me, more so than the regular corporate world or in the neighborhood. Yeah. Yeah, talking about the practical, you're and you're right, Richard. That, you know what you so so Andres, I say what you just described is kind of conceptual and intellectually rigorous, and and, and Richard, you right. just followed it up with the real practical. Why? Why bother doing something that seems inherently kind of against our our wiring? But it's because we have something greater, a vision that all of us are working toward, and we understand what that is, and it's compelling to each of us, and so it makes it worth our while to be able to make those appropriate uh, adjustments. And Andres, I should yeah, also well, again, mention yeah, here. I think you're just in the game of sports. You know, it may come up, but it's not a block. You know, it's, it's an enhancement at that right. end of the day. Right, absolutely. Well, and, and, and I should also mention that, and this, this is where I think I should do a plug, Andres, for your book, The Inclusion Paradox, The Obama Era and the Transformation of Global Diversity, because you go into great detail about the conceptual kind of framework as well as um, very specific topics related to diversity issues that we would call, uh, you know, culture-specific kinds of issues related to disability and women and et cetera. That, that really, uh, you know, fleshes out these issues in a very meaningful and also very comprehensive way. So thank you so much for, you know, such an amazing book that captures so much of this important information. Andres, we, you talked some about this, but, you know, the, the, the global diversity and the marketplace diversity, can you help us distinguish, you know, the, the global issues? Because we've talked, we understand, a lot of us U.S. folks understand how diversity shakes out in the U.S., can you help us understand what this means at a global platform level and then also in the context of our workforce and the marketplace? What is this issue of diversity about and why is it important for all of us? Yeah, you know, this uh, takes me to some research that uh, at Corn Ferry, where I'm a senior partner, uh, we've done trying to answer the question, you know, in this volatile, uncertain, complex, and ambiguous world, what kind of leaders do we need today? 
right? At mm-hmm. the time of great threat, but also great opportunity. And we researched our database of two and a half million assessments over a 34 year period, trying to discern which are the elements of what makes a great 21st century leader based on the leaders that have succeeded and not succeeded. And we came up with this answer. And the answer was that the 21st century leader has to demonstrate four things. They have to be a global leader, they have to be an innovation leader, they have to be a change leader, and they have to be a growth leader. And interestingly enough, as we uh, plumbed underneath that that uh, fabric that we created, diverse uh-huh. and inclusive and cross-culturally agile behavior showed up in all four. So to demonstrate any one of those, you had to show that you can manage diverse teams, you could do it in an inclusive way, you could do it in a cross-cultural agile way, you had to get the best uh, innovation and creativity uh, out of your, your diverse perspectives and backgrounds. And so the, the, so the conclusion is that to be a 21st century leader, you actually have to be an inclusive leader, right? And what is an inclusive leader? An inclusive leader is then someone who can demonstrate the kinds of behaviors uh, that we're talking about. And just to give a couple of examples on the global side, you know, right now leaders, whether they're in Moline, Illinois, right, or whether they're in Sao Paulo, Brazil, or whether they're in Mumbai, India, uh, they are managing teams uh, that are literally around the world. You know, right now, next, in the next few days, I'm going to go to Hong Kong, meet with an HR team from a client, that, and they are, you know, 10 people from eight different countries, and they have come together for the first time under this one company, uh, reconfigured, and they have responsible for human resources for the company um, around the world, and they got to figure out their own diversity from a national culture perspective, you know, from Singapore, from China, from India, the United States, Germany, et cetera. And then from a marketplace perspective, right, uh, one of my clients is a big packaging goods company based in um, Italy, and they uh, have factories and talent and buyers around the world. And the question is, how are they addressing the diversity of their buyers? whether their buyers are African-American or Latino or Chinese in China or they're gay, how is it that they have a product and packaging and marketing and messages and branding that are appealing to all those diverse populations who all need to eat and perhaps you know, could really benefit or would benefit from good, some good pasta and sauce, but does it speak their language you know, in more ways than one? It's a whole different marketplace now. If you're not diverse, you're pretty much going to be out of the game. Because I mean, exactly. <laughs> the world opportunity is there. The world is always going to be there. But if you don't know how to package and manage and grow, then you pretty much, you know, just need to get a job and, and just ride along if you're, <laughs> if you're that normal person. And I yeah, think that we all And, and, I, and I tell you, Richard, the, the I mean, big is, CEOs you know, of big companies are, are really going after they realize this is about my bottom line. Right, right. But but here's my question. So I okay. So the the business case that you're describing seems pretty compelling. But how do I how do I as a leader get the best out of this diverse team? If I have ten people sitting around the table and all of them are coming from different cultural experiences, what do I do in order to get the best from them? Yeah. So you know, it, people. Well, you know, you I have white males. Get out of them to deter. Where, where are you going if you got something? <laughs> well, right. And, and I tell you, I have white males that tell me, uh, I don't feel comfortable walking into a room of people that look just like me, right? So they're, start, they're really getting that the world is tempted. But then the next step, 
Yep. The next step is now I have a room of people that do not look like me, and I have no idea how to mobilize them, right? I, because they're different. They look different. They act different. They talk different. They think differently. And this is where we have to be cross-culturally agile. And cross-cultural agility requires three intelligences. Emotional intelligence, awareness of what do I believe, why do I believe it, where that belief come from. Cultural intelligence, understanding how our cultures can be similar or different to one another. And this is intelligence, which is the application of that insight about myself, insight about others, so that we can solve the business in front of us, business issue in front of us, whether it's a talent issue or a marketplace issue. And that then requires the skillful navigation. And, uh, you know, and my quick story here is I'm a direct style communicator, you know, middle class Latino from Latin America, and I was working at a Midwestern um, human resources uh, department function globally with mostly white female Midwestern college-educated professionals. We liked each other. We respected each other. But their style was indirect. And so you can imagine, you know, even with the liking, even with the respect, even with a common vision, even with being in the room together and knowing that that was a good thing, we had such different ways of communicating that it broke down until we able to realize that we preferred different styles and able to sort of adapt to the other style in a mutually reciprocal way. Andres, are you saying this is, so Richard, this is what I'm imagining right now that Andres is saying, this is like when I stand in the middle of the kitchen and say, it's garbage day. And Richard looks at me like, so? (laughs) And what he really is expecting me to say is, Richard, please take out the garbage, right? <laughs> well, yeah, yeah said, that's, 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 that's if you want to be direct. That's what you probably should say. <laughs> but, <laughs> you know, another case in point to this, that's why I suggest, you know, at the end of the day, I always look at sports with it. Because most people, <laughs> like you say, they come in the room, they have a they have a view, and they see that person, and that, the person only has to open their mouths, and they have a certain perspective about the person. Before they even began a conversation about what they can and can't do. Because I see athletes that small, skinny, wide, doing all kinds of different things, and it's amazing what they can do. But the point of it is, if you just look at the package, you never really get down the road. Yeah, yeah. Fair. Okay, so listen, I have to take us one more time to switch gears for a few minutes. While we're at commercial break, please hit us up on Twitter at Dieta M. Jones, at Andres T. Tapia, at Richard underscore Dent 95. We want to hear from you. Please send us your thoughts. We'll be right back. This is the home of the top life coaches, entrepreneurs, and success drivers. The Voice America Empowerment Channel. Richard Dent, a cornerstone of the Bears' overwhelming defense during their Super Bowl run and a 2011 inductee into the Pro Football Hall of Fame, was an eighth-round draft pick out of tiny Tennessee State in 1983. The tall and skinny rookie wound up with a brilliant 15-year football career. Dent's fascinating story takes you behind the scenes of one of the fiercest, most dominant defenses in NFL history. Blood, Sweat, and Bears hits hard, just like its Hall of Fame author. Buy it now on Amazon or download it to Kindle. Dieta Jones has been delivering expert guidance through her speaking, consulting, and writing on leadership, management, and cultural diversity for more than 20 years. Her engaging style and infectious laugh combines with mastery of personal effectiveness tools and cutting-edge research. She is diplomatic, yet direct. 
and concept-based, yet practical in her approach. If you are looking for a high-powered speaker for your next conference, consider Dietta Jones your ace in the hole. Call her at 312-870-9596 or visit her website at dietajones.com. Follow us on Twitter for more great ideas at Voice America Empowerment. You are listening to DJ and DeBear, keeping you at the top of your game. To reach the show today, please call in to 1-888-346-9141. That number again is 1-888-346-9141. You may also send an email to djones at dietajones.com. Now, back to the show. Hello, hello. Uh, D, are you there? Well, may be there. Okay, Andreas, we was uh, talking about, you know, the teamwork of things. And, and you know, what I, what I tell people all the time is that, you know, I, I used to have this guy, William Perry, you know, he bought into me, I bought into him, my linebacker bought. We bought into each other as of just seeing how we can dictate. And when you can dictate, then you're on the market. You make things happen, you know what's taking place, and it just makes things you know, better off for you, and and uh, and it's more fun,ful as a team. But I've always seen corporations all look at the game of sports, you know, the same way they look at themselves. And sometimes the people that's working need to understand how important their jobs are to what you're doing. Yeah, absolutely. And I, you know, I love the the comparison to sports. And you know, and so many obviously people understand the power of different positions and the power of the diversity in the sports field, but they have a hard time often translating that to the workplace. And when they ha- they see and work with someone who moves different, right? Who moves right when they move left? Who has a different style and approach or a different set of skills? It, rather than appreciating that, like you know, great teams do, they tend to judge it. They tend to look down on it. They tend to not leverage. It. And I think that, you know, corporate uh, diversity and corporations have a lot to learn from sports from the skill building required to actually leverage that diversity in an inclusive way. Yeah, I, I think that, you know, at, at the end of the day that, you know, I, I really try to tell athletes, you know, you get an opportunity to really get a chance to, to, uh, to, yeah, get an opportunity to meet so many corporate people that the business, you know, takes place. And most athletes don't get a chance to see that picture. You know, you look at what's taking place with the uh, uh, Seahawks. You know, the guy said one or two words, but at some point, you know, to me it's impossible for the game of sports to be able to do so much for you. But yet, as you know, one at some point going to need some help, Physically, mentally, whatever it may be, and I always say that you never know whose hand you're shaking, and they don't know whose hand they're shaking. So you know you're sitting on top of the world, and the only person that sits as high as that right now is the president. You know, and he has that same opportunity like you. And the chance of you being president is very slim. And slim walked out the door, so it's no chance at all. But then even he has to come down. So we sit on these thrones. But yet and still, while we are there, allowed us to say, I've been on that throne, I've been over it, but yet, you know, the resources and the people that I met globally, around the world, in the city, outside, that's going to sustain me the rest of my life. 
Totally agree and with that's you. Where, that's where I say athletes, you know, you, you, you get to such early in your life, but yet you don't sustain that throughout your life. Just like it's corporate America, it's the same thing. You know, you get a new business or you want a big business or whatever it may be, it has to be sustainable at, at a point. Yeah, and you know, the sustainability, I think, is one of the key distinguishing marks of next-generation diversity. Uh, in, my, in my work uh, here at Corn Ferry and other places, you know, there's a, we've seen a lot of really great programs around diversity, like affinity groups, diversity councils, diversity training. We believe in those. Those are all very good. But my worry is that um, it's not sustainable, meaning programs by themselves are not going to make the environment more inclusive automatically. It's not going to lead right. to the greater advancement and development uh, of traditionally underrepresented groups. It's not going to lead automatically mm-hmm. to greater innovation because you're more inclusive. You need a deliberateness and a capability building among your leaders and your managers and your employees, and you need policies and practices that really counter the the embedding of unconscious biases in the recruiting processes, in the development processes, in the you know, promotional processes, and that's where the sustainability starts to really take hold. I agree with you, Andres. That's actually something that I've been thinking a lot about, especially as I, you know, and, and it, it just happens to be related to the diversity and innovation and tech field uh, thinking that I've been doing lately, but it's you know, what to do with this huge infusion of money that's really going to, that, that's meant to, you know, have a huge impact by 2020, really close some gaps, significant gaps by 2020. What's going to happen that's going to be new or different than what we've been doing programmatically for the last 30 years? Because, you know, we, it's not that the efforts that we've been pursuing for the last 30 years in our organizations haven't been worthwhile, haven't been meaningful, but at the end of the day, we still have pretty sad statistics in a lot of areas related to, you know, uh, CEOs and, and board representatives, et cetera, you know, number of women or percentage of women on boards or number of CEOs who are from underrepresented racial and ethnic groups who are sitting at the Fortune 500 level. So I, I agree with you 100% about the sustainability piece. It's just it's really tricky though to figure out how it is that um, you know the the connection of policies and practices um, connected to people's kind of real world experiences and what we're coming with. And, and I guess I'm saying this as related to um, you know the the fact that even though we are um, putting new and reinforced effort forward in our organizations towards diversity, uh, the way that we're living, especially in the United States, is less and less diverse. We're actually segregating ourselves more than we have previously, according to political ideology, according to socioeconomic status, definitely to more according to race. So it's really interesting to think about how it is that, you know, we're going to be able to practice some of these uh, inclusive skills in the workforce that we're not necessarily practicing and integrating into the other parts of our lives as seamlessly as as might be idealistic. Yeah, yeah and I would say there's a lot at stake here, right? I mean, we talked about marketplace opportunities. Uh, we've also mentioned talent war and you know sh- talent shortage. And um, if we do not have inclusive environments, we're not going to get the talent that we need. But also, uh, there's a, and then we've talked about innovation, and, and here's, the, here's the logic. The, one of the biggest challenges that corporations face today is to create growth, economic growth. Uh, in order to grow, 
you need to differentiate uh, from the competition in a hyper-competitive environment. In order to differentiate, you need to innovate. And in order to innovate, you need diversity of perspectives, backgrounds, experiences. But in order to activate that diversity, you need an inclusive environment that allows those diverse voices to be heard and to apply their ideas to the problem at hand. And in order to do all that, you need the right kind of leadership, the right kind of inclusive leadership to lead the way forward. And I tell you, the companies are do, that do that, and there are companies that are doing it, they're clearly, clearly outperforming the companies that don't. I mean, there's a recent McKinsey study that showed um, companies in the U.S., Canada, and in the U.K. in the study, there's over 300 of them, uh, those that are more gender diverse at the leadership level, which is a very important distinction, were outperformed their non-diverse, gender diverse uh, peers by 15% on a bunch of economic factors. And, and in, the, in the U.S., companies that were more racially diverse outperformed those that were not at the leader level by 35%. So, you know, is it a difficult conversation to have? On the one level, yes, because all the, all the contentious, polarized things that are happening. But when you put it in economic terms, these companies are realizing, you know what? This is the motivation to resolve it, and they're doing it, and, and they're winning. Well, here's the other thing. So I need to switch this out, but when we come back, let's, make, let's, let's draw this out to the, to the next obvious place, which is to the communities, and why it is that, you know, we, in order to find people who are really skillful and cross-culturally competent leaders, then we need to be drawing on communities and making obvious connections between, you know, where we find people and also the investment back into what will become, not just our client base, but also our pipeline. So I want to bring us back to, and also some of the social justice issues associated with community involvement and what role corporations and industry should have there. So let me transition us out one last time. Remember, hit us up on Twitter at Dieta M. Jones, at Richard underscore Dent95, Andres T. Tapia. We want to hear from you. We'll be right back. This is the home of the top life coaches, entrepreneurs, and success drivers. The Voice America Empowerment Channel. Richard Dent, a cornerstone of the Bears' overwhelming defense during their Super Bowl run and a 2011 inductee into the Pro Football Hall of Fame, was an eighth-round draft pick out of tiny Tennessee State in 1983. The tall and skinny rookie wound up with a brilliant 15-year football career. Dent's fascinating story takes you behind the scenes of one of the fiercest, most dominant defenses in NFL history. Blood, Sweat, and Bears hits hard, just like its Hall of Fame author. Buy it now on Amazon or download it to Kindle. Dieta Jones has been delivering expert guidance through her speaking, consulting, and writing on leadership, management, and cultural diversity for more than 20 years. Her engaging style and infectious laugh combines with mastery of personal effectiveness tools and cutting-edge research. She is diplomatic, yet direct, and concept-based, yet practical in her approach. If you are looking for a high-powered speaker for your next conference, consider Dieta Jones your ace in the hole. Call her at 312-870-9596 or visit her website at dietajones.com. Live up to your full potential. You've heard that for years, but now there's a channel to help you get there. Introducing the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Get motivated, hear about success stories, and positive encouragement. The Voice America Empowerment Channel is the home of the world's top life coaches, 
entrepreneurs, and success experts. Listen to the Voice America Empowerment Channel. It's your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. Follow us on Twitter for more great ideas at Voice America Empowerment. You are listening to DJ and DeBear, keeping you at the top of your game. To reach the show today, please call in to 1-888-346-9141. That number again is 1-888-346-9141. You may also send an email to djones at dietajones.com. Now, back to the show. We're back and continuing our conversation on next generation diversity and inclusion with diversity and inclusion thought leader, Andres Tapia. So we, uh, you know, during this, this last piece of the show, it, was, it would be really important to us, I think, uh, to be able to bring up a topic that you know, Andres, is very close to uh, our heart, to Richard and my heart, and it's about social justice. We, we really believe that it's important to, to explore new approaches, especially with industry as leaders, to deal with some of the social, justi- social justice issues that we've been grappling with. Um, for a long time. And living in a city like Chicago, we, we know it's easy enough to be able to talk about, ex, you know, very specific kinds of social justice issues that have been, um, you know, ongoing for far too long and thinking about what are the roles for, of industry and industry leaders in helping to, to intervene and to create uh, new and more equitable uh, communities of practice that have a positive impact on the uh, organizations that are catalyzing some of these changes as well. So I'd love to get your thoughts on, you know, what do you, what do you think about the role of industry as leaders, especially on topics like these big social movements that we have now, like hashtag Black Lives Matter. What do you think the role of industry can and should be, and why is it important for them to get involved in some of these things that we would call social justice issues? Yeah, and I can, if I can preface my answer by saying that Black Lives Matter and the things that led to that is both a very disturbing thing that it has unfolded this way, that we're here having this conversation that we feel has anything changed. Um, on the other hand, it's a great development because we are having the conversation. You know, one of the big worries that I've had ever since uh, President Obama was elected is many in this country assume that, well, been, you know, check the box, right? We have a black president. We have solved the racial issue. We're post-racial. And it was a very destructive assumption because we're not post-racial. We still have all kinds of disparities in terms of health care and uh, economic justice and, you know, security on the streets and, and things of that nature and that we have to address. And But the racial issue basically got pushed underground and it was very difficult to talk about the fact that we still have disparities. Uh, the Eric Gardner, Trayvon Martin, right, the Ferguson, um, it, uh, you know, things that have been unfolding have forced the issue that things are not okay, that things are still disparate, and that we have to address it as a nation or else we're not going to move forward. Where corporations come in, therefore, is to realize that they have as much a stake in the fabric of society being healthy and good and unified and inclusive as everybody else. Uh, because, you know, if our societies are rent by violence or disparity or inequity, then this will affect all of us because we're all part of the, the ecosystem. And so corporations, I'm going to have to think long and hard and, and see, they might feel that they're very far removed from issues of, you know, 
police enforcement and what that means and the choices there in our communities. Uh, or they may realize that, you know, that might be more closer to our care and our concern as citizens of this of this country, right, or corporate citizens, that maybe we have something to say. Maybe we have some ways to influence this. And, and I'll wrap up with this. When the riots happened here in Chicago on the west side after Martin Luther King's uh, assassination in, in the 60s, mm-hmm. uh, business leaders here in the loop, where I'm, I'm here in the Willis Tower, were looking out their windows and watching the fires uh, out on the west side of Chicago. And they looked at each other. These are my white males, pretty much. They looked at each other and they said, you know, what are we doing and saying about this? Because this is our city. We're citizens in this, and we have no voice. We have no point of view. We're not having our influence in, uh, felt on this. And they formed an organization called Chicago United that to this day is dealing with the intersection of business and race. We have that moment today. They are equivalent fires. They might not be literal necessarily, even though they can be, but they're also deeply psychologically rending fires in our communities. And business leaders have to look out the windows and say, that is about our community as well. What are we going to do? How do we lead? Yeah, yeah. Well, and we have yeah. to and we have to create those platforms for people to be able to come together in healthy and proactive and constructive places in order to practice developing some of these cross-cultural skills to, in, in order to practice having experiences with people who are different or ideas or approaches that are different so that the only time we're, you know, called upon to be cross-culturally competent is not, you know, under the rest, is not, you know, in mm-hmm. situation where we, our emotional intelligence yeah. is not available to us. So, you know, yeah, this I'm proactive so, approach is absolutely incumbent upon us. And that just comes down to saying just because not in my neighborhood, that don't mean I should not get involved. You know, don't let it get to your neighborhood. That 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 is the way to get involved. Yeah, yeah. By helping. Well, and there's a lot. I mean, that's the other thing is that it's there's there's a lot that's going on, and I'm, it's, I I too share with you the the feeling, Andres, that I'm happy that we're having a conversation, especially as somebody who's been you know, working in the field of diversity and inclusion for, you know, 20 years, there have been definitely times when it just went all too silent, you know, where it kind of, it felt like it was falling off the radar as far as uh, importance. And so the fact that it's important again and that we have an opportunity to have discussions in ways that are different than we have in a long time is, is really, um, it, it's, it's exciting. It's, uh, it, it's disheartening in certain ways, but there's an opportunity here that we have to step into. Absolutely. Sometimes, I guess, you know, it's more so, you know, people, when you got greed, then, then when you don't have that greed anymore, and everybody needs to be whipped back in shape to have appreciation <laughs> to the, the earth itself, you know, that we're only here for a second. We're only here for a second. And what mm-hmm. is it that you're doing, you know, to the environment? What are you giving back? Because there's nothing you can take that's your memories and that gas that sits on your tombstone. If you're here a year, if you're here a hundred years, we all have that same reflection time. So what is it that you're going to reflect on when it's time to check out? Yeah, yeah. So, Andres, we only have a couple more minutes left of our show. Please tell us some of the things that you're up to or some of the ways in which we might tap into you and your wisdom um, we know about your book, the, in- the Inclusion Paradox, which is wonderful. Where might we purchase it? And what are some other things that would be useful for us to keep on our radar that you know about? Yeah, you know, here at uh, my company, 
that I work for, Corn Ferry, uh, we have scientists uh, that are also codifying and looking at you know the, the the science around inclusion, the science around talent, and uh, and plumbing this database that I told you earlier about this two and a half million assessments, and we are looking at how do we measure, how is it that people are inclusive, you know, in their behaviors and their attitudes and their mindsets and their experiences and their drivers and traits, and then creating an assessment around that, and then the ability to develop development plans and training and coaching to really develop and shape the inclusive leader of the 21st century. So that's, that's one arena. Uh, the other arena is, uh, you know, this work is global. And whether it's a U.S. multinational headquartered here in Chicago or a German uh, or Brazilian or Indian multinational based in those countries, but operating here, uh, this work is, is taking myself and my team members and, and teammates uh, all over and, and looking at. And we're seeing more and more uh, the C-suite say diversity and inclusion are vital for our survival and, and, and for us to not only mitigate the, tr- the, the threats, but to capitalize on the opportunities. So that's where I'm at, um, and that's where um, I'm going to stay, and I, I, I'm committed and, and right. I'm driven by this work. You sound, you sound like a person who loves what you're doing. I'm sure uh, you would do it for free, but I'm sure they're paying it, so you got to take the money. But <laughs> it, 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 uh, I said the same thing in football. You know, I would do it for free, but they are paying it, so I'm going to take it. But, uh, you know, I, I, it, you know I, I really appreciate uh, chatting with you today and talking to us. Uh, it's, you know, it's not often you get a chance to talk to people that are so intelligent and speak eloquent about, you know, topics and things that dear to them. And, and that's dear to other people, too, as they're trying to help other people come along to be, you know, uh, you know better people, better businesses, where you can make it a better world. Yeah, you know, there's a, a saying in my country called "se hace el camino al andar," which means you make your path as you walk it. And I think all of us, the three of us on this phone, the people that are listening, those that really care about social justice and racial equity, and leveraging the power of diversity to innovate and create solutions never before seen to, you know, meet the challenges never before faced and and seize opportunities that are in front of us in unprecedented ways. You know, there may not be a path, you know, that, but we can create that path. And I think we're poised to do that. Awesome. Thank you so much, Andres. And thank you for leaving, leaving us with those five words. We really appreciate it as always. And we appreciate your friendship. Thank you, all of you listeners, for joining us today. We have loved every minute of it, and we hope that you have, too. Please check out our website, www.dietajones.com, and sign up for our mailing list to, to receive updates on our upcoming shows and other topics that we hope you find of interest. We would also love to hear from you, so use the blog to post your comments and ideas for the show. We are eager to respond. Until next week, keep finding ways to make a dent in pursuit of your dreams, to serve your community, to make our world better. Like I say, peace and so. <laughs>